Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back, everybody, to episode two uh, of season three of Wild Wild Podcast. I am here, as ever, with my co-host, Rod Barnett. Hello, Rod. Hello, Adrian. How have you been doing? Uh, yeah, well, pretty good. Uh, I, You know, as, as you also know, work is keeping us busier than we would like it to be. Mm. Um, and perhaps we won't talk about that. But <laughs> have you have you been involved in any more fun uh, projects recently? I know your podcasts are uh, coming thick and fast, but um, how about any more like Blu-ray type things? Uh, there is something on the horizon for later this year. It's not something that I can talk about yet. It hasn't been announced. Mm. Um, oh, okay. As a matter of fact, there are two things. I wrote I wrote an essay for a uh, a Blu-ray that'll be coming out from Arrow here sometime later this year, but it hasn't been announced Ooh. yet. Uh, That's that was a new cool. Is that your is that your first Arrow? Uh, yes, yes, actually, it is. Uh, That's I, uh, very cool. Uh, I was asked to write uh, an essay for the uh, the booklet for this particular 1960s Ooh. Italian film. That's as close as I'll get to saying anything about it. Yeah. Oh, and, cool. Um, it was it was a good experience. I think I have an interesting take on on the film, and uh, I really enjoyed the editorial process of uh, submitting and then ha- getting notes and then going back and and kind of deconstructing uh, the beginning and uh, shoring it up. It was fun. I, I think it's a, I think it's a good essay, and it's one that I think that I'm I'm excited to see what people's reactions mm. to it will be. One thing I've noticed with American Blu-rays uh, from boutique companies, I'm thinking Severin and Vinegar Syndrome, Mondo Macabro, people like that, they don't usually have booklet essays. It's it's very standard over here, but when I've bought cult Blu-rays from America, they don't usually have them, which I'm always slightly disappointed by. Yeah, so it, if they do, uh, I know Mondo tends to have them, but only in the initial like special edition. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, and so and if you if you don't get the spe- you know if you don't get the initial release, you know usually a numbered uh, a numbered set of them, mm-hmm. uh, then you know the standard edition. One of the things that's not included will be that booklet with you know essays and things of that nature. And that is you know, I understand what they're doing. It's it's a it's an incentive to get it. You know, to get that special edition first, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's not a lot of. Uh, there used to be more of it, I think, and I think it's fallen away here in the states. I think. Yeah, there may have been I'm always. Judgment. It's always my favorite thing um, to have as a booklet because I don't have time necessarily to sit and watch hours of extras. Yeah. But I do like to read a booklet essay, so uh, I'm glad that Arrow are continuing to to keep that going, even with their um, American releases. The, I've done a few booklets for Arrow in the past, and the last one I did was for the US release of Torso, mm-hmm. the Sergio Martino film. Sergio Martino? Yeah. Yeah, Torso. Yeah, you're, you're, um, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and then, and I did that, and then um, I've done a couple of others in the past. I did a Mario Bava one and, and so on. But then they asked me if I would do Strip Nude for Your Killer, the American one of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, actually, I think they asked me if I would do a commentary. And uh, they said, oh, we've heard that this is your favorite film. And I was like, actually, I've never seen Strip Nude for Your Killer. And that's when that's when we realized that they thought I was a different Adrian Smith. Because oh there, there is a guy who goes by the name of Adrian J. Smith. Now, my middle name is also J. Um, and he's written books about Jallo. He wrote a book that, like 15 years ago or so called Blood and Black Lace, like a guide to the Jallo. So there's this guy, Adrian J. Smith. And so they thought I was him, I think. Oh, my goodness. And, um, since then, Arrow have never been in touch again. So I think maybe all that time, they thought I was him, and uh, I was getting his jobs, and now he's getting my jobs. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not bitter, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> so, but that's cool. So it's good that in this case we've got that to look forward to—a uh, mysterious '60s Italian film from Arrow. And uh, do you have more commentary tracks coming up? Uh, we've got one that we'll be doing later this year. Uh, all I'll say is it is uh, an unexpected Paul Nashy release. Ooh. Hmm. You mean there are still some Paul Nashy films that haven't been released yet? <laughs> Only a few dozen, yes. <laughs> uh, that's very cool. I mean, that's basically your retirement plan, isn't it? To just keep plugging away at the... Paul Nashy extras as they continue to come out. Well, I have, I have a two pronged. Uh, I have a two pronged retirement plan. That uh, one that involves continuing to talk about Paul Nashy until I keel over, and the other <laughs> is to rob a bank. So yes, yes. Okay. Well, um, I mean, either of those things could be quite. Uh, could it could involve taking several years to. Uh, <laughs> the planning to, stages to are lengthy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. I mean, all my. Blu-ray booklet work these days is with Network. I've kind of got plugged into Network now, and they contact me all the time with offers of crazy, mostly British movies I'm getting. So um, Mm -hmm. I haven't done any sort of European stuff for a while, but I'm enjoying going back and looking at various old Brit films. Uh, I've got a couple of sex comedies coming up. and Anyway, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's nice that people think we uh, can talk about films, which... Yeah, I mean, it, there, there are moments good. when I have, uh, and I, I don't know, you and I haven't talked about this before, but just briefly I'll say there are moments when I have some self-doubt about what <laughs> yeah. I can bring to the table, and then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll 
I'll listen back to something or uh, I'll, I'll get a lot of uh, I'll get a lot of feedback, you know, positive feedback about whatever has come mm-hmm. out most recently. And I'll realize, OK, well, there, you know, I, I, I actually may have I may have some something here. I may yeah, actually be maybe. able to do this. And so exactly. it tamps that self-doubt down. Thank goodness. Exactly. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice when people say, hey, that's what you did was good. Anyway, let's uh, stop patting ourselves on the back. move on to film number two in our Poliziotesky season fun one um it's a film that i actually first came across maybe about 10 years ago and i was just starting to get into italian cult film so um, it was one of the first poliziotesky films that i had seen um it's got a great theme which we'll talk about uh shortly yes but um this film now several titles so here goes okay, yeah okay well, well hold on first what title <laughs> did you see it under so what was on um, you said was it the arrow dvd the arrow dvd, DVD yeah had um it's it comes with actually two it's got a it's got a painted cover by um graham humphreys uh under the title super bitch there we go. That's the title that I first saw it under as well. Which um, I believe that was a retitling about 15 years later or whatever when uh, Stephanie Beecham was a hit in America and they were trying to connect it with Joan Collins's film The Bitch, I think. But anyway, yeah, so yeah, yeah, Super Bitch. Another title is Blue Movie Blackmail. And that, as far as I can tell, was the... Um, the title of it when it was released in the UK at least so the the original English language release was Blue Movie Blackmail yeah and that seems to me to be the kind of the best title for it because it's descriptive yeah. and it kind of gets across what you're going to be seeing whereas Super Bitch mm-hmm. is meaningless in this context no and it's putting it's making her be the villain which she isn't <laughs> yeah I know it's very strange. It was on the um, the video. They've reproduced the they reproduced the video cover here for Super Bitch, and it's <laughs> um, like a naked. I'm holding it up for you so you can see it. Um, if you can see that, so she's mostly naked. Yes, but yeah, sort of very eighties, very eighties hairdo she's got in this picture. So they're they're really tying it in with the Colbys. Stephanie Beecham, star of the Colbys, reveals more. Than you have ever seen before. <laughs> Certainly more than on yeah. American television, that's for sure. And then there's another tagline: first she takes your money, then she takes your life, which doesn't fit at all. No. Um, but uh, and the IMDb's tagline is: the super bitch uses her body to deceive and manipulate men to get what she wants. I mean, um, again, no, no. Not at <laughs> I mean, all. well. To, Although she is involved in a blue movie blackmail racket, to be fair, so but it's a lot. It's a group of people that are doing. But yeah, it. This is not and a she one seems woman to affair, be. Yeah, yeah, and she's mainly in it for the lols. Um, seems that way. The, the Italian title is. I'll have a go at pronouncing it. Si può essere più bastardi 
dell'ispettore Cliff. I love the fact that his name's Cliff. Like there's such an Armitian. Well, the character, the character that Ivan Razumov <laughs> plays is an American, and I think that's fascinating because it's like I think is that, he supposed to be American? Oh yeah, he's like CIA, he's FBI, or FBI, yeah. FBI. That was it. Yeah, Inspector Cliff. Which, by the way, is a little odd. I mean, I mean, not that that's not. I mean, I would have expected them maybe to make him a CIA officer, considering the FBI is technically supposed to work within the boundary yeah. lines of the United it's, States of America. But it's as almost as if the writers didn't do their research. Just a little. Just um, a little. So, so what I love about that title is that the translation is. Could you be more of a bastard than Inspector Cliff? <laughs> and to be honest, by the time the credits run at the end of this film, I think the answer is no. Yeah. I mean, he's a fascinating character, Inspector Cliff. Yeah. All the way through, you're not entirely sure if he's on the take or on the level. Like, is he double crossing? Is he triple crossing? There um, comes a moment in this film where, and I, I won't point it out to the people who haven't seen this film yet, but there there yeah. comes a point when I'm pretty sure what we're, what we're witnessing is a quadruple cross. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty it's sure. A, it's you can, Your head is spinning. Now, other alternative titles. Mafia Junction. Mm-hmm. Um, Persepolis Junction. Um, Escort Service was another one. And there's another Italian title, Servizio di Scorta. Well, strangely enough, supposedly the Spanish title was essentially Spanish for Mama the Turk, which is, you know, just the name of another female character in the film yeah. other than <laughs> other than Stephanie Beecham, which yeah. honestly, Mama that's almost Turk, a viable yeah. title considering the focus of the film for a good chunk of time. But mm. I mean, she's a funny character as well. The actress oh, I playing, oh, I mean, the cast in this film is just... We'll, we'll get to all of that. Um, there is also a French title, um, which is uh, Piège pour un tueur, or Trap for a Killer, which makes it sound like this is a serial killer hunting film, which it isn't. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, lots of titles. It's a kind of schizophrenic film. Um, we'll go into the plot. Now, I will. I realised last time with Milan Caliber 9, we basically spoiled the whole thing. I'm not going to do that <laughs> this time. Yeah, let's not do that this time. I'm not going to go all the way to the end. But yeah, you're right about all the double crossing and triple crossing. I'm just picturing somebody in a cartoon who's, whose arms are crossing and crisscrossing until they're tied in a big knot in front of them as they're trying to follow. <laughs> who's Some Tex on... Avery character, poor thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but let's talk a little bit, first of all, about Massimo Dallamano. Yeah. Because he is somebody, as I was looking through this and planning our films for this season, it could have almost turned into a Massimo Dallamano season. And that wouldn't have been was, necessarily a bad thing. No, he was just a great uh, filmmaker. He was a cinematographer, first of all. He worked on uh, Fistful of Dollars and a bunch of other films. And I think you can really see the visual eye that he had in this movie. Um, although, I will say he didn't know how to make something look like it was being shot by a hidden camera because there's <laughs> su- there's supposedly Too hidden camera movement, footage yeah. later in this in the later on in the film and the, it's clearly just shot by a cameraman walking around the room <laughs> mm-hmm. which would have been a bit obvious to everybody involved um but yeah so he did this movie um but prior to this he'd already done what have you done to solange 
and um, a year later he did What Have They Done to Your Daughters. Yep. He also did Cult 38 Special Squad. Which um, is a hell of a movie. It was his last yeah. movie, sadly. Yeah, he was due to make a third film in the um, What Have They Done to Your Daughters trilogy uh, when he died in a car crash. Um, and so that film was made by, um, what was it called? It was like Red Rings of... Oh, what was it called? Red Rings of Fear, that was it. Mm-hmm. So that did come a couple of years later, directed by somebody else, which was the, the kind of the, the final film in that loose trilogy of uh, Daughters in Trouble movies. Um, but yeah, so it was very sad that he died uh, quite y- well, relatively young, really. I think he was only about 60. Well, I would, I would also like to point people toward uh, one of his earlier films from 68, a film called A Black Veil for Lisa, which is oh, just yeah. a fascinating movie. Mm. It's a, uh, it's, it's really, a, it's a thriller about a, um, well, there's a, a detective, uh, a police detective who's attempting to uh, solve a series of murders, and he hires a hitman to kill his unfaithful wife, hoping that her, her murder will be tied in with the serial killer murders, but things kind of uh, go off the rails for him. It's, it's, it's a really good movie. Yeah, I've not seen that one. I need to. Uh, oh, you need to. John Mills stars in it. Robert Hoffman, on my, on my uh, list. Luciano uh, Paluzzi, the 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 uh, lady famous for being in Thunderball and quite a few other things. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'll um, I'll add it to my really long list. Of <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it's a it's a it's a very entertaining ninety five yeah. minutes. Let me put it that way. So yeah, so this is. Um, I mean, there's so many interesting things about this film. I want to mention, so we need to talk about the cast. Obviously, Ivan Razimov is um, cult Mm -hmm. Italian cinema royalty. Um, But then he came to the UK. Much of it is shot in the UK. Now, I was wondering as I was watching this film, how, you know, whether this is one of the most globetrotting of the Poliziotesky films, because usually they're all just shot in around Rome or Milan uh, or, or wherever. It's like a Euro spy film. I think mm-hmm. we're in four different countries. In this, I mean, movie. there's a there's a portion of this at the beginning of the film that's shot in Lebanon, for God's sake. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing, and it's not second unit stuff. I mean, Ivan Razumov is there. Well, yes, yeah, several of the several of the characters that yeah. are throughout the film are there, so they spent yeah. some Ma- cash. Mama Turk gets to do a um, car chase, um, and she's great. I mean, it's really funny. So. I'm, I'm jumping all over the place here, but That's this character, Mama Turk, was played by a British actress called Patricia Hayes. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious to see her playing a villain in a Poliziotesky film, because for me, I'm just used to seeing her in loads of old British movies and TV comedy. Um, I mean, she's in films like Fish, um, Fish Called Wanda. Fish Called Wanda. That's and, where I knew her from immediately. Yeah, because... Willow. Yeah. She's in The NeverEnding Story. Uh-huh. But she used to be back in the eighties. I used to see her on TV all the time. So I know really she was funny. on a. You look at her at her at her resume, and it's like, oh my god, she did so much television, yeah. and so many films. I mean, in the same year she made this movie, she was in an episode of The Goodies. You know, <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, really funny. She's just done loads and loads and loads of stuff. Um, so very familiar face in the UK, but primarily for comedy. So to see her getting to do car chases around Lebanon was. Uh, was pretty amusing um but anyway yeah so we've got lebanon we've got rome we've got um the uk london and and then there's even a a scene 
actually on location in New York. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, admittedly, where we actually see New York, that could have been second unit stuff because there's basically just they're crossing the Brooklyn Bridge, I think, and there's some stuff um, at the Port Authority. And then we cut to the interior of a uh, warehouse. I mean, that could have been anywhere. But anyway, but still, four countries. It's pretty impressive yep. for uh, for this kind of movie. But as you said, because he's supposed to be American, that sort of makes sense that they would um, jump around a bit. So it's a, it's a great plot, one that I couldn't possibly hope to summarise. <laughs> um, thankfully, we have... Roberto Curti, who's done it again for us. So I'll go through that and then we can pick out some of our notable characters and people as we um, as we go through. Um, well, well, before we start oh, the, any kind of rundown of the plot, I would just like to say that, to my mind, this uh, one, one of the things that I've heard about this movie over the years, luckily I heard about this stuff after I'd already seen it, was the idea that it, there seems to be this consensus that this film doesn't know what it wants to be. And mm. it, it, as soon as I read something like that, I realize for this movie, that just means there's somebody not paying too much attention because the movie is trying to fool you in, about mm. what is actually going on. And then after the fact, looking back at it, it becomes incredibly easy to see the template that this movie's based on, but there's just so many double crosses and so much information that's being held back from you by the central character that it become, it's impossible as you go along to know what's going on. But of course, that's the joy of the reveals in a story like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're never really sure like, who, who's doing what and who's who you can trust, who you can't trust. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's like all over the place. It's but great. the structure is built on the same structure that A Fistful of Dollars is built on. Only mm. there's no way to know that until the end. Oh, uh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, without wanting to give too much away. But yes, you're right. Well, I'm trying, yeah, that, I don't think that gives too much <laughs> away, but it does no. give you an idea of how the, uh, the, uh, the ro the FBI character at the center of things is conducting what he's doing to kind of bring everything to a head. Yeah. No, I agree. The bastard um, Cliff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are you as much as a of a bastard as professor as professor? Oh, as oh, and before I forget Cliff? this. Um, there, there, there is a moment in this movie where someone in slow motion yells the word "bastard," mm. uh, and it's it's a moment uh, I forget exactly where it is in the movie, but it's 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 definitely I'm sure in the script the word "bastard" was in all caps and had yeah. four exclamation points after it to emphasize how yeah. they wanted this line to be said. And I was just flashing on how it would take another 11 years, or no, no, another 10 years before someone topped that use of the word oh, bastard yes. in the legendary pieces scene with Susan Tate oh, George. That, that is quite a piece of cinema. <laughs> bastard! Bastard! He cut that poor girl in half while she was still alive. There you go. It's, it's, it's very funny. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's have a go at 
going through the plot, sure. and then we'll pick out some of the characters as we as we go along. So Inspector Cliff of the Narcotics Bureau works undercover for a drug trafficker, Morel, um, and Morel disguises his activity by using an escort agency in London, and as if it, it's like it's so weird. So he's <laughs> Morel runs an escort agency, yeah. which is a front for a drug smuggling ring and a blackmail ring at the same time as mm-hmm. well as also apparently just organizing parties well like, the parties does... are, are are potential blackmail material as yeah well. yeah so i think he does the parties and then sometimes blackmails people who go on these parties and um so cliff um is initially sent to lebanon to stop Mama the Turk from buying a big shipment of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a... And then he comes back to Rome, and then he's sent to London to go and basically hang out with Morel. So it turns out that Morel's... Now, I'm slightly confused here because I think in one um, summary I read, it said they were married. But in the in the Italian translation of the film that I watched, they didn't it didn't appear to be married. But either well, there's way, there's dialogue that indicates that the that there's a relationship. There's definitely a relationship between yeah. the Stephanie Beecham character Joanne and, and Morel. the Morel character. They certainly yeah. have soft feelings for each other, and they do consider themselves to be in some kind of relationship. Because yeah. at one point, she does apologize to him for quote unquote cheating on him. Yeah, for sleeping with Inspector Cliff. Yeah. Although she carries on all through the movie, she basically spends most of the film wandering around, wandering around naked in Cliff's apartment. Well, the impression I'm that the, the film gives is that Morel is impotent, and so if they are married, that that seems very plausible that these are that these are a pair of married people, and that at some point he you know he had this medical he's had a medical problem interfere with their sex life, and so he can't you know he in all good graces can't really feel bad uh, he he can't he can't have the normal reaction a cuckolded husband would have he has to he has to accept it because he loves this woman and he wants to keep her in his life and he says it very plainly like that yeah that's true um so we've got cliff and this reunion with joanne and then cliff uh decides at some point that he's going to start a war between these factions so he, um, Mama the Turk has a guy called, what's his name, Gamble, mm-hmm. working for her. And Gamble turns up in one of these, oh yeah, so this escort agency we should mention. So we see Joanne take uh, on a date with the American ambassador. Yes. Um, played by a guy called uh, Keck Linda, or Sek Linda. Who yeah, he's, I re- a, he's a guy we, that, we, that I've he's seen familiar. in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I recognised him because I'm not that long ago, watched Quatermass and the Pit, mm-hmm. uh, the, the TV version, and he was in that. Well, he was um, also Felix Leiter in Goldfinger in 64. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. So, yeah, say- so he's a very, very recognizable face. Mm-hmm. But he's playing um, the American ambassador, and he takes her out for dinner, and then he wants to sort of party with her, and she she knows a place. And then, and then it cuts to um, him in his pants, Dressed as a rabbit, yes. nib, nib, nibbling on carrots with fake bunny Stephanie, ears, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's hilarious. And Stephanie Beecham is wearing uh, 
sexy rabbit costume. She's she's wearing. She looks a little bit like she's in one million years BC. She's kind of got a furry bikini. <laughs> she wears it and, better than he does. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, and rabbit ears, and they're kind of frolicking around together. Um, and then she brings out a very beautiful boy, who um, distracts him, and this is all t- without him knowing it. This is all being filmed because mm-hmm. this is part of the blackmailing ring. So this is where the blue movie blackmail element comes in because what they then want him to do is to go to paris to buy a statue so this statue is where all these drugs are going to be housed that mama the turk is trying to get hold of but morel has bought instead meanwhile gamble turns up initially he turns up in one of these party films as well where they're sort of replicating a roman orgy and uh, i don't know if you noticed but one of the um one of the fellow party women in this in these scenes is actually Camille Keaton. I did notice that, but I I, I couldn't tell if that was something that I mean she's listed uh, as as an uncredited bit role in this mm. on IMDb, and the thing is she's so easy to spot mm-hmm. um, that even without that knowledge, it's like oh wait that's that's Camille Keaton, and of course this is that period of time when she was making a bunch of films there in Europe. So yeah. Yeah, because I'm assuming some of these scenes, the interior scenes, were probably shot just back in Italy. Yeah. Like, not everything would have been shot in London. Um, so anyway, yeah, so so Gamble turns up as a guest in one of these films, and then he turns up at the headquarters of the uh, party place, and he's kind of going to, you know, he's going to cause trouble for Morel. So um, then Gamble actually kidnaps... Um, Joanne and uh, Cliff. Um, oh no! Oh yeah, he kidnaps her, but then it turns out that he just wants to make a deal with her mm-hmm. and have her on his side. So she's yeah, she's all like yeah, fine, whatever. And then she leaves, and uh, Gamble's got his little farmhouse in the country where he's hiding out with his men. And then the police turn up to arrest them all. And then it turns out this is all Inspector Cliff's doing. And he gets the guys all outside and then completely just mows them down. And this is when Gamble shouts, Bastard! Bastardo! Uh, As he's been gunned down by British cops with machine guns. Which, you know... I mean, I don't even know if these actually were cops. I think I don't think. They, oh, that just, I don't think it, they were. It, it, the the film seems to indicate that these were guys dressed up to pretend yeah. to be cops who gun so him I down, so. throw 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 these entire his entire group of people, his entire yeah. team there into a pit that they dig in the yard and yeah. cover it over and then with they cement. cover it with cement. Yeah, it's really brutal. I mean, if these really were British cops, they'd have just been walking in there and hitting them with truncheons. What's all uh, this then? Yeah, they they certainly wouldn't have had machine guns. So, yeah, so he's wiped out uh, Gamble and his men. Um, well, hold on a minute. We're, sell- we're selling a few things short here because... Oh, go on then. It's because well, I'm getting I, I just, the, the, the I'm, things, I'm the reading things, this and I'm getting Oh, lost. I know. I, the things I want to, uh, <laughs> to, to emphasize here is that this is a visually inventive film and sometimes visually inventive at times when there is no need for it, such mm. as uh, right before the uh, Gamble and his and his group are assaulted and destroyed. Uh, there, there's one guy who's cooking, uh, who's cooking food on a stove. And I swear oh, to you, we have yeah. a shot from underneath a transparent frying pan as this guy puts eggs in there and starts making, yeah. making eggs. And it's one of those moments where you're just like, why did they? Why? Why did he decide to do this? This adds That's nothing. Cool, yeah. But but it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it keeps you 
really interested in what's yeah. going on because it's visually uh, it's visually fascinating, but mm-hmm. there's no purpose to it. Whereas a lot of the other kind of visual flourishes flourishes throughout the movie, you know, draw uh, draw emphasis to things that are you know important for you to see. It's like we don't care about these eggs, man. It's just yeah. just, it's just just he's just no, cooking. You're right. It's really cool. Oh, and we should, we should back up for a second. Oh, the movie, I think this movie starts very strongly because we're introduced to Ivan Razumov's character. We don't know anything about him. He's arriving in Lebanon. He, you know, he meets a guy at the airport with, uh, you know, they, ex- they exchange, uh, line, you know, Passwords. lines that allow them to identify each other. Yeah. Uh, they go out to these ruins uh, which is the first time, you know, we see uh, Mama the Turk having her meeting there. And mm. for the first chunk of this movie, it's very possible that you think that the Ivan Razumov character is a hired assassin because he does go there and in those ruins kill somebody. Yeah, and it, so it does feel like a Euro spy film. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh, okay, so this is this is the kind of movie. And then it slides you into the next part, which introduces you to the escort service. And then yeah. right on the heels of that, we're introduced to uh, uh, the fact that uh, Ivan Razumov's character is, you know, is being talked to in very stern terms by his, uh, his FBI handler, who's there, who's there in country as well. And uh, it becomes evident, that, oh, he's, he's some kind of narcotics detective. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. so this is actually some kind of crime film we're dealing with. Uh, uh, an FBI agent who uh, has, you know, has has got a, a team there. Supposedly, that's the first moment we realize that he can draw on other people who are there. We're, we're told that, you know, we're just told that verbally, and then of course it pays off later on when the fake police show up at the place and then immediately take those, you know, take those uh, cop uniforms off after they blow away the t- the the, the uh, gamble and uh, his team and throw the bodies in a pit and cover it with cement. So there's all these things that as the movie slowly progresses along each like 10 minutes or so you get new information that makes you realize oh okay so he's not this oh mm-hmm. man he's that oh wait a yeah. minute well what is do his or do his bosses know what he's doing because he's definitely participating in some criminal activity here that uh, that his bosses probably would frown upon and then yeah. there's all this different stuff going on it's it's, you, it's you're really never kind sure of who Oh, it is. You're never sure who he's double-crossing. Correct. Is he double-crossing his bosses, or is he working for them and double-crossing the gangsters? Or are we just not being given information? Yeah. And we think he's double-crossing people, but in reality, he's not. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to give up trying to go through the plot summary. Cause <laughs> I, don't wanna, I think this is a film that people will enjoy, really enjoy and should seek out. And the less you know about where it goes, the better. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it, so... We, you know, so he's got this beautiful girlfriend, uh, Joanne Stephanie Beecham. He he's making deals left, right, and center with various different people. At one point, uh, Yakimo Rossi Stewart turns up. Oh, he's our friend, our friend from uh, way back in um, Planet of the Vampires, and um, War Between the Planets. War Between the Planets. Um, he, he's another also, one of those super identifiable faces from you know Euro, European cinema yeah. of this period. Wasn't wasn't he also in the day the sky exploded? Uh, yes, actually he was. Yeah, <laughs> he was in so many movies. Yeah, I mean, Death Smile so on a Murderer. I mean, Night, really cool e- Night Evelyn came out of the grave. Yeah, oh, I love that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool to see him just turn up in this all of a sudden. 
Um, it's just there's so many twists and turns. And apparently um, the story comes from the director of The Manster. Really? George P. George P. Brakeston, who wrote the story that this is based on, was the director of The Manster in 1962. Oh my goodness. How weird is that? <laughs> That's a weird connection, right? Um, that is an extraordinarily odd connection, yes. Apparently so. Well, I mean, if you want to get um, weird about this movie, the cinematographer is the guy who shot The Bridge on the River Kwai yeah. for David Lean. I know. It's amazing. And I mean, it's the, really the interesting. The people making that, this movie were, were really good at what they were doing. Yeah. This sort of British connection, bringing in all these British cast as well, um, and obviously some British crew alongside the Italian crew. It must have been a very interesting shoot. Yeah. When I, I watched it, when I watched it again, I watched it in, in Italian with the subtitles. And you could tell that actually even the British actors were, for the most part, delivering their dialogue in Italian. So it was shot to be seen in Italy, primarily. So despite the fact that most of it takes place in the UK, pretty much all the actors were delivering their lines in Italian, or at least as close as they could get. I mean, it's obviously all dubbed anyway. Yeah. But like even you know, Stephanie Beecham, Patricia Hayes, all these people were giving their lines in Italian. So it's it's a very odd mix of sort of British crime drama, Italian crime film, Euro spy, uh, sexy drama. I mean, Stephanie Beecham, my goodness me. <laughs> she is beautiful. Well, and, and she's... It, it, if all you had known her for was her American television work in the 80s, seeing her in this would have been an eye-popping experience um, because she yes. she's fully nude in, in at least two scenes and it's it's yeah. just casual. It's completely casual. Very in, casual. In the way it's presented. I mean, obviously, this is that period in her career quite early on when she was still basically doing pretty much anything. She'd been in The Nightcomers a couple of years before, which was also quite explicit. Oh, and she was, and, she was uh, also in Dracula 8072. Yeah. And you know, yeah. which is what I knew her from immediately. She did a couple of yeah. episodes of UFO in 1970, playing playing a character named Sarah. I remember, I remember her from that. She she'd yet she'd yet to do her career highlight, which of course was in Seminoid. <laughs> career which, highlight is is that how you think she would think of it? Absolutely. Actually, I've actually met Stephanie Beecham because obviously I did the book on Norman. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get an interview with Stephanie Beecham, and she it turned she turned up in my town to do. She was appearing on stage in a play oh. at the theatre here. So I spent ages trying to get hold of her agent and trying to arrange an interview with her while she was here, but she was just too busy. So I went and caught her at the stage door one night after she'd finished the show, and she signed my uh, novelization of Inseminoid. Although now. <laughs> Now I kind of regret not taking this um, mock-up VHS cover of Superbitch and asking her to sign that. I wonder what she would have thought of that. Um, she might have yeah, had so some I, really strong questions about what kind of person you are. Yeah, but so I did talk to her briefly, but obviously just talked about Norman and Inseminoid. Um, but yeah, she uh, she had a really interesting year. Obviously, the uh, you know she did a few horror films. She did a Now the Screaming Starts, yeah, which is which is great, a good uh, amicus one. But um, anyway, I've forgotten where I'm going with this. Yeah, so she's really cool. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't want to give more away because it's fun to try and follow it all yourself. But so, yeah, so we've got Patricia Hayes, British comedy actor, 
playing a gangster. Oh, she's. We should talk about her family, like her gang. She's oh, got oh this yes. Now, weird collection of people around her. Now these people are fascinating. Uh, yeah. Mama the Turk is the boss of a. Uh, what, where would they come? They're, they're vaguely Middle Eastern in general, but it's Possibly. really kind of hard to nail nail things like that down. She's got a guy with her who looks Spanish. She's playing the guitar all the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's—I mean, her gang, the way they're all dressed—they are the most seventies. Like, there's absolutely no mistaking when yes. this film was made. <laughs> no kidding. The oh, thing I was goodness. talking about last time when we were talking about uh, uh, Caliber Nine. Uh, Milano Caliber Nine, where there's a certain timelessness to the way everything yeah. looks. You know, the trench coaches, mm. the, 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 yes. the the trench coats, and all the way that everyone <laughs> is dressed, the way the interiors are, the the way it plays out. You know, it, it, it there's a timeless quality to it. Boy, that is not true with this film. Yeah, if you were going to go to a party, a fancy dress party that was seventies themed, this is what it would look like when you got there. You, uh, yes, complete with the gigantic mustaches. Yes. Yeah. It's like they went to a fancy dress shop <laughs> to get their costumes. Oh, it's amazing. But they're all quite young, so she's got this kind of young gang. I don't know if she's supposed to be their mum, or at least one of the characters, possibly. She's their mother. Well, they all and, do seem to. to ref- they all call her I mean, mum the Turk, mama, yeah. and she very does... I think there may be one of them that's actually yeah, you know, related by blood, but they all seem very much in keeping with the idea of... You know, a, a group like as, a a, as an adopted family. Yeah, it's really odd. They, they live on a houseboat when they're in the UK, when they're in London, and the, so there's a young girl Eva, and at one point she has to pop down the shops, but Inspector Cliff kidnaps her because Mama the Turk has kidnapped Joanne. Second time in the film she's been kidnapped. <laughs> no, it's like and, what, we we just grab Joanne just in case, yeah. you know. So Inspector Cliff has to arrange like a bit of a swap. Um, so we get to see the family, but they're really sadistic. These young kids. There's a whole. There's a scene earlier on in the film where they basically run over. They beat up and then oh, yeah. run over. Oh, yeah. There's this. There's one this of amazing guys. Member of of Morel's group of uh, you know who frol- who frolic on film to get to to, to yeah. get the goods on people who uh, who's who's kind of amusing because he, he's he's coded as either bisexual or possibly just gay. And yeah. he's you know he's there to be the the, the, the good time boy for that. He's the extremely flam, extremely flamboyant, and and hilariously almost completely over the top bitchy in a way that is yeah. uh, that that is amusing as hell. The the movie doesn't insult the character that it's not played that way no. at all. Uh, he's just he, he but and you kind of have a little bit of affection for the guy because of the way he's you know a little over the top and kind of amusing, and then they just beat the living hell out of him in an alleyway yeah. while the the guy with the guitar you know serenades him they beat the hell out of him with him being serenaded by this lunatic with the guitar and uh-huh. then they they drive over his legs it's this it's yeah. it's it's rough there's there are moments in this movie that are violent in ways yeah. that i had not expected at all yeah that actor his name's leon vitali which makes him sound like he's italian but he was actually british and uh, he's in a couple of Kubrick films so mm-hmm. he had quite a good career too but yeah very um, brutal what happens to him very undeserved well I, I um, when, when that actor was in when I saw this that actor in this film I, I realized oh man I, I definitely I definitely know this guy 
And mm. uh, I, was, I was trying to figure out, it's like, oh, okay, okay. He played Victor Frankenstein in that low-budget 1977 film version of Terror of Frankenstein, which oh, was right. this low-budget version attempting to do the uh, to do the uh, the Mary Shelley novel, you know, kind of literally. Uh, not that it really did, but I, I I remembered him from that. But that the the big the big giant blonde hair that he's wearing is like, yeah, man, and, could, that is. Uh, we've talked about the fashions, but I got to tell you, his hair in this movie that may be the most seventies thing in it. And his tie, he's got this massive white tie that's so fat <laughs> yes. with his purple shirt. Oh, it's amazing. Um, there's another actor I wanted to mention briefly. This is somebody who has a lot of significance if you're in your 40s, if you're British and in your 40s and watched television in the 80s, mm-hmm. then you will have watched a show called Grange Hill, which was like compulsory viewing after school in the 80s. And there was a teacher in Grange Hill who was the most feared teacher. He inspired fear in all the kids on the show, but also because Grange Hill was set in a school. But we would all talk about Mr. Bronson how horrifying Mr. Bronson was. He was like the teacher that you hate. No, wait a minute, who played him? Life. So, it, so the actor that played Mr. Bronson was a guy called Michael Sheard. Okay. And so Michael Sheard, his most famous role, he, he was a very po- uh, very popular actor, but he came kind of synonymous with mis- being Mr. Bronson, the most evil teacher in <laughs> the school. Um, he he went on to play Hitler in um, in a few things, including Last Crusade, when Indiana Jones gets his book signed, gets he gets Hitler's autograph. Oh yes, that's right. It's and when I was watching that film, like me and my friends, we all cheered because it seemed like the perfect casting that the most evil teacher in television <laughs> history is was was Hitler. But anyway, the reason I mention this is because Michael Sheard pops up in this movie. Um, he's like he's like a, a contact or something for Inspector yeah, Cliff. Yeah. He meets him in a park. And so they're walking through this park and they have a meeting. And then Michael Sheard's character, Williamson, he sits down at a bench to read his newspaper and then gets his brains blown out. And um, it's well, very it's shocking. Because I recognized him, and this is weird, because he has a bit role. He has a small role in, in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yes, of course, as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those faces. Who, if you look at his IMDb credits, he's in hundreds of things. But yeah, I mean, yeah, right. he was in, in Doctor well. Who, and you know, he yeah. was in a classic Doctor Who or three. Yeah, I mean, he had a career. He had a career for about twenty years before he did Grange Hill, but then after that, he was just tied to being this evil teacher. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, so if anybody really hated Mr. Bronson, then watching this movie might provide some kind of catharsis because we get to see Mr. Bronson. Because <laughs> his, his blood gets splattered all over a yeah. newspaper. So, yeah, that was one moment that made me laugh when I saw this movie. Uh, but you're right, it is this very brutal violence, which kind of comes slightly, it's, sort of, it's always very quickly, suddenly like, whoa, what just happened? Well, I mean, yeah, there's some, there's, some, uh, there's some scenes where it feels almost like they were aping Peck and Paw's Wild Bunch in the mm. level of, you know, in the level and the structure yeah. of, you know, just, just the physical way in which they att- they put the, the stuff on film. And then there'll be moments where you're, you're in like a, a, a good old fashioned couple of punch fist fight or, you know, something yeah. of that na- nature. And it's over really fast. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, could be almost in any movie. And it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is odd. Um, before, oh, by the way, if you want to talk about, you know, like bit and un- uncredited roles, 
I thought I, I the first time I saw this movie I did not catch this. The first time I saw this movie was years ago. I'm talking like ten years ago. But rewatching it uh, to talk about it and really kind of paying attention, I was like, oh my goodness, because there's a point at which early on in the movie where uh, our beloved Inspector Cliff has met with his uh, FBI handler, and uh, then as he's leaving this meeting, which is out in a park. Uh, he realizes, and of course we are made to realize, that he is being followed by someone. Oh, yeah. And uh, I immediately went, oh my God, that's Gareth Thomas. Uh, that's Blake. Oh, right, Blake yes, Seven. it is, for Blake Seven, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and Ivan Razumov's character, of course, immediately, you know, like, Stops and her, you know, stops and harasses him, and and kind of dresses him down for not being very, you know, for not being very good at, at uh, this yeah. kind of, you know, <laughs> secretive uh, following of someone. And uh, I was, and he's out of the movie just that quickly. Yeah. But it's just one of those things where it's like, oh my god, it's Blake, it's Roger yeah, Blake. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, it's just British actors doing little bit parts because they were available at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the level of violence, particularly when we see Williamson's brains blown out. That would not have happened in a British movie. No. Um, so it must have been quite fun for the British cast and crew <laughs> getting to do stuff because this was an Italian film that they would never have got away with if it was a British film. Um, the, we haven't really mentioned I, Ivan Razumov much yet. Of course, oh, yeah. he is. Uh, we probably should Italian. talk about him. He's the center of the film. So. Yeah, he's Italian film royalty. We've also we've had him before, of course, in um, Planet the of the Vampires as well. Oh, the humanoid. Yeah, it was. He was in Planet of the Vampires, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, um, he's in. He's in a ton of great movies. But um, so, and we will talk about him again in other episodes, I'm sure. But in the book, in Roberto Curti's book, he talks about him not really being right for the part. Hmm. Which he says, I um, disagree. He says the actor was not perfectly suited to the character, and even Razumov has said later on that he didn't think he was ideal for the role because he was too slim, that they needed somebody sort of bigger and stronger. Oh, I but don't, I I don't get really, that at all. No, I think he's perfect. Yeah. I love the look on his face. Like he's just got this kind of, I know what I'm doing and you guys don't know what I'm doing look on his face the whole time. I think he's great in it. I I. I think he's fa- I think he's fantastic in this. I, I've always really enjoyed his per- I've always enjoyed his presence in the movie, even when it's his role is you know uh, to be kind of a red. Sometimes he's a red herring. Let's be blunt, mm-hmm. uh, and that that just boils down to the some of the some of the films that he was involved in. I mean, when you when you're doing films like The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward and and All the Colors of the Dark and Your Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, you you can't play the bad guy every time. But mm. you look when you're Ivan Razumov, you look like the bad guy. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. And those two, I mean, your vices a lot. Room and Strange Vice were all um, primarily shot in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are all right. Just they came out just before Blue Movie Blackmail, so we had some experience of being over here. And of course, he, he does other Polizioteschi films as well, like the Tough Ones and Cult Thirty Eight Special Squad. Um, uh, but yeah, he's great. He's always good value, and he sort of makes you wish he'd made more films than he did. I know um, it's it's really kind of weird. I don't know why his uh, his career, you know, I won't say it flamed out, but it got to the point where he wasn't doing nearly as many films. Uh, I recently rewatched uh, because I'm a very strange person. I rewatched the Raiders of Atlantis. Well, I rewatched it because it came out on Blu-ray, and it's like oh, oh yes. an opportunity to watch that movie again. Yeah, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, it's, it's a Ruggiero Diodato film that uh, isn't nearly as good as it needs to be, but somehow is good enough to make you watch it more than once. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd forgotten that, I'd completely forgotten that he was in it, playing playing a character named Bill Cook, which, <laughs> you know, it, it, very much in keeping with the, you know, the yes. how can we make a completely generic <laughs> name yeah. for a character? And yeah. uh, he has a, he, he's, his character threads throughout the entire film but it's one of those things where you're just kind of surprised that he's playing this secondary role in this movie yeah. you know he's, he would be much better suited to have been the lead in the film uh, and I think that you know seven or eight years earlier he would have been you know but it's, it's 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 weird but I mean good good on him for the career that he had and I yeah that's I, great I, I enjoy seeing him in anything. In anything. Uh, it, it is something we should point out that he worked with Massimo uh, Delamano uh, on his last film. He was also mm. in uh, Cult 38. Yeah, Cult 38. Yeah. yeah, which is really good. I just watched that recently. I think we yeah. might even have that on the list. We might get back to that one. That's a good um, film. And another person to mention in connection with this film is, of course, Rizzo Talani. Yes. Um, I'm current, I mean, I probably think this every time I watch a Polizioteschi film. But when I watched this one, I thought, surely this is the funkiest of all of the Polizioteschi themes. It's so good. It's very good. Well, I got to say, this, uh, I, I, I have not done a study and I am not an expert, but I have to say, the theme for this movie may be the brassiest thing I've heard from Riz Ortolani <laughs> in my life. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's a, it's a joy. And man, is he using the brass section in that, in yeah. that, uh, in that combo. It's amazing. The, apparently it's recycled according to Troy Howarth who mentioned this when I posted about this on Instagram Ooh. he said that it was actually recycled from a film called Il Consigliore um, really? which yeah which I did not know but also according to um, Roberto Curti it was recycled again in Red Rings of Fear but um, <laughs> Never let never let a good uh, good piece of music go to waste exactly yeah if you've got a good theme just keep going with it's a bit like Stelvio Cipriani if you've heard one of his themes you've pretty much heard all of them (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing is I I discovered this a couple of decades ago when I realized that I was listening to a fantastic uh, crime uh, a a fantastic score by uh, Ennio Morricone for a French thriller starring uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo and I just I absolutely loved the score I had it I had the CD and was listening to it and then I realized I was watching some other movie that Morricone had made that had 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 written the score for and I realized wait a minute <laughs> portions of this are the same damn music and it, this like I said this was about 20 years ago when I realized oh well if your career's long enough you just start recycling ideas, yeah. especially if you're pumping out as many pieces of music as somebody like Morricone or or or, or Ortolani yeah. in this case. Well, was, you know, and didn't Ortolani work with Morricone? 
Now that I cannot that, remember. I, I always sure associate Bruno Nicolotti. Uh, yeah. No, I mean I'm sorry, uh, Nicolai. Yeah, Bruno Nicolai with him because uh, he would do the, he would be the he would uh, do the he would do the arrangements and yeah. uh, conduct this you know conduct the music That's for Morricone who was too busy to do it all. Yeah, I'm getting my guys mixed up. Um, easily done, I think, with, when you're working, like you said, when they were just so prolific. Oh, they, and but, they yeah. had to be. And there was just there were yeah. there were so many jobs that they just kept going yeah. and kept going. Yeah. So, um, so final thoughts. Then I think this possibly, although there's still lots more films to see, but this is possibly one of my favourite Poliziotteschi films. I just think there's so much to enjoy with this movie. Well, um, I what's think, your thoughts? I think that it's great that we did this one second after. Um, caliber mm. nine mainly because this it, these two films demonstrate the two ends of the spectrum that I find that I break these movies down into. Uh, one is the classier, more uh, uh, don't don't get me wrong, still still dark and gritty, mm. but classier end of the spectrum versus a movie like this, which tends to be. While, you know, at the same time, you know, gritty and bloody and, you know, about nasty people doing nasty things, of course, but it's a, it's a sleazy end of things. Milano 9, you know, Milano Caliber 9 is not a sleazy movie. This is a sleazy movie. Uh, whichever title you go by, I mean, Blue Movie Blackmail is what I would go by, but, it, you know, think, think about it for a second. Any movie that can be ra- randomly called Super Bitch is probably going to have to do something to earn that title one way yeah. or the other. And the sleazy aspects of this movie certainly certainly break it in that direction. So although I don't know that uh, most people think of it in these terms, maybe they do, maybe they don't, I think there's the, the higher-minded <laughs> uh, crime thrillers made in Italy, and then there are the mm-hmm. sleazy ones. And the, the, mm-hmm. the joys come in when, when the sleazy ones wallow, and when um, the uh, the higher minded ones can be so good that you don't care that they're not sleazy. I mean, this is a film that would really benefit from. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we say this kind of thing all the time, but uh, this is one I'd love to see on Blu-ray because the the DVD is looking pretty um, cheap. <laughs> I, I, but, I, I uh, would I agree. Know. I would agree with you. It's a movie that I think yeah. that uh, if if how long ago did that that DVD come out? Has there not been another release? It's 10 years since this one, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. It would have been a good one for their box set that they just did, but maybe they'll do a second volume. That would but, be nice, um, yeah. I don't know. So I just wanted to finish off with, I did look this up, and um, this film was released here in the UK, so I found a review that I wanted to just share with you a little bit. They okay. call it a competently, impersonally handled thriller fantasy travel log locations, Italians playing Americans, Americans playing Englishmen, a remote and rock-faced Italianate hero dubbed in American, and paired incredibly with the sweetly English Stephanie Beecham and Patricia Hayes, overplaying an impossible Turkish bloody mama, but looking more like an English char. That's quite a good summary, I think, (laughs) all the different people there. I like the idea of him uh, being a rock-faced Italian hero. I mean, that's I think that's well, probably fair. That's Ivan Razumov's face could, I mean, it, it does look like it was possibly chiseled out of granite. I'll yeah. give him that. But. Yeah. He, they also mention a character we haven't come, we didn't touch on because there were too many people in this film. Um, how Isaac, Ivan Razumov's character, Inspector Cliff, goes to meet the um, the secret police chief and it's they have to meet him on the on the tube train for this meeting. 
Yeah. Uh, which was pretty funny. That's a bit I forgot about. Um, so they, they finish off the review with, um, they call it a mongrel co-production, which I think is a bit harsh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because obviously it is a co-production, British and Italian. But I think that really works in its favour. It makes it very different from, I don't want to say standard Poliziotesky, but there's a kind of formula for the Poliziotesky films. And I think this one does it all remarkably differently because of its multiple locations and British yeah. cast. And Well, I think the, the, the cast, yeah, it's a large cast. and I think, But I think that opens it up. Sometimes in films like this, you feel like they were uh, they were trying to keep the keep the money under control, and therefore there aren't a, there aren't a lot of like secondary little characters. Like we're talking about these British these British actors like Gareth Thomas Thomas that just you know that show up in in small roles. And the thing is, they those those little pieces add real color and texture mm. to what's going on, and makes the makes the story feel a bit more lived in and real. In this uh, in in this case. The locations do the same thing. I mean, this really does feel like a globe-trotting story because we are honestly actually in these places with the actors. They're not faking it with doubles or anything like that. There are, really, there are real scenes there. I mean, there's a there's a freaking car chase in Lebanon, for goodness yeah. sake, out in, the, out in the countryside. I mean, that's... What, what, what other movie has that? Yeah, exactly. It's not just watching the same car get flipped over over and over again in Rome like you see <laughs> yes. in lots of the other films. Anyway, we love this movie, then. That's good. I think we can leave it there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so thank you, Rod, uh, for watching that and uh, going through that with me. I hope everybody out there gets to find a copy of this and, and watch it. It's really highly recommended. Um, but, yeah, that is it for today. I will leave you with a new 70s uh, mix of our theme. <laughs> I did my best to make it sound 70s. I don't know. <laughs> Let me know if you think if I could have done better. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll be back uh, hopefully in two or three weeks with another episode, another police film. Um, but for now, we will say goodbye. Please do remember to leave us a review and a star rating on whatever platform you listen to this on. You can email us, talk to us on social media, etc., etc., etc. Okay, so I have been Adrian. Thank you for listening. And I have been Rod. Thank you for listening again. I don't know why I said it like that. I have no <laughs> idea, but I was amused as soon as you did it. <laughs> I thought there's a different, there's a different way to sign off. Yeah, why not? Mix, mix, mix things up a bit. Okay, we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye, everyone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.